before we get into it and, and kind of get going, I just want to extend my welcome to you. We are so happy that you are here this morning. If this is your first time here, um, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We are so thrilled you're in this place this morning that you chose to come and be here. And we hope that no matter what, you can just feel the warmest welcome that we could possibly give you. With every smile and face that was uh, on your way in, every hand that sort of helped in some way, shape, or form, all of that is designed to just help you to see how excited we are about you being here. Um, our, our focus here at Connection Church is to always just do one thing, and that's just to help people and connect them with a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what, above all things, above any one person or anything, the hope for everything we do, the reason behind everything we do is so that people will have the opportunity to connect to Jesus and to just step into a relationship that, that isn't stagnant, that is just constantly growing and it's just full of next steps that are just incredible moments of experience with Jesus. And so again, if you're here and you've been here before, you're family. And so we're just happy to see everyone and I'm so excited about what God has for us this morning. Um, just to kind of carry on what Meredith was saying when she was up here, um, we still have a few of the bottles out in the hallway. If, uh, if you have the opportunity, please go by. This is a great opportunity to just pour in. Doesn't take a lot of change to fill these things up. They're out there. They're going to be used for a great cause. Um, we're really excited about partnering with this ministry and really excited about Thomas sitting back there in the back and collecting them. So if you have them and they're full of change, give them Thomas. If you haven't had opportunity to get one yet, just go and grab one. And again, like she said, we just want to try to have them all back by next Sunday. Uh, full, and we're going to get them over to the ministry. The other thing is, is that as she was talking about our heart and soul class, um, it's not actually at the front porch. It's here at church tonight. So if that was something that you were planning on attending, if you were going to um, come and see what we have, try to get a little more invested in what's going on and get a better understanding for the vision that God has given us through our heart and soul, uh, it's going to be right here at 5 o'clock. So um, we're looking forward to that. We're excited if that's something that, you're, uh, that you've considered as your next step. And so we're excited to see you tonight, 5 o'clock. So we're carrying on in our series this week. Uh, we've been in it for a couple of weeks now. And if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, uh, I encourage you, go back to the app. Go and find it. They're online. They're available for you. Um, we've had some incredible men come in and just sort of lay out what being a disciple uh, that serves looks like. If you haven't had a chance to, to see it or if you need to go back, Billy and John did an incredible job the last couple of weeks. And so we're moving past the, the disciple that serves to the next step, and, and it's the disciple that worships. Because as we've laid out before, we've established that our definition of a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone who's being transformed by Jesus, someone who has joined Jesus on his mission that's all in on what Christ has called us to do. And so we've broken that down and said the disciple that's following Jesus is going to serve. They're going to pour everything out with their heart. They're going to give their time, their treasures, their talents. They're going to depend on Christ to even push past the doubts and the fears and all those things that go against that, and just give it all to serve any opportunity they can to, for someone to know Jesus. And so as we continue to move on, and, and as I, our walk of faith with Jesus transforms our life, we believe that the next step of that is that, that that's going to do something within us that creates a life that's full of worship. That that's going to be what defines the disciple. If you see someone that their life is just an example of worship to God, that it's going to be, that's a disciple right there. That's a disciple of Jesus. And that's our hope here is that that's what we're creating is disciples that make disciples who are so filled and overwhelmed with what God has done in their life that their whole existence praises God. And so that's where we want to go this morning. We want to talk about this thing called worship. We want to get into it and see what is it that creates that in us, that our whole life, every area, not just the time we spent singing praises to his name just here, because that's a huge part of it, but that is not the only way that we worship God in our life. And so we want to kind of get to the bottom of what is this thing called worship? What does it actually look like? How do we define it? And, uh, and so we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about it. So I want to pray for us real quick, and we're going to kind of get into it. Grace and Father, we just thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for every heart that is in this place, Lord. We thank you for everyone who walked in with just the idea that, hey, there may be something to this. 
Lord, and, and it's okay that we don't know all the answers. It's okay that we don't see the big picture yet. It's okay that we are exactly where we are. We just don't want to stay there. We want to continue to move forward with you. Lord, we want to we move into this thing called worship and really understand what is it that, that would create a worshipful life. What have you done? Who are you that would just take someone who was so far from you, completely transform their life, and just create this new creation that is just filled with everything that you've called them to be, and it just flows in worship to you? So we're praying that we can see you for who you are this morning. Lord, we're praying that you take this time and open our eyes. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts for what it is you have for us. We're praying that the Holy Spirit moves in this place this morning. We're praying that we are so overwhelmed with the name of Jesus that our praises not only rise in this place and shake this place, but that our praises continue on throughout the week, that our lives become examples, reflections of our praise for you. So, Lord, we give you this time, Lord. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that he did to make this possible for us. So Lord, be with us. Guide us where you would have us to go in these next few moments. We give them to you. They are yours. And it's in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, as we, as we kind of break down what this worship thing looks like, the first thing I want to do is kind of start with just a definition, just a simple definition of what it is. So the only place you go, of course, is Marion's Webster. Uh, and I don't, you know, I, I love going there. I love definitions. So when I looked up worship, it says to honor or show reverence for a divine being or a supernatural power. The other one it had that I really liked was to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, and devotion. And so... The idea for worship, as we sort of explain it, the other thing is, is to understand that we were created for it. That as we look in Genesis, as God begins to lay it out, we know that he says that we were created in his image. That there's something about us, each and every one of us, whether we know God or not, or whether we're in a relationship with God or not, just being a created being of God, there is something within us that resembles God. We were made in his image for a reason. And it would be so that as we move out, as we do what he would call us into doing, people would say there's something there. What is it? You know, we are made in his image so that people could identify us with God. Both of my parents are here today. If you see me, especially standing next to this guy, it's going to be clear. Hey, that's Carl Smith's son right there. But it's the same thing for my mom. If I get near my mom and my dad's not there, people go, you look just like your mom, you know? And then I stay next to him and they go, wow, that's a spitting image, except you're way better looking. And I go, I know, you're right. But it's the, it's the truth, right? I, we, we come from our parents and, and we sort of have this idea that people see us and regardless of who we are, they go, wow, you look like this one or you look like this one, you know? And the truth is that we resemble both of them. And, and so it's not hard to connect the dots to go, okay, now I know where you come from, Right? And it's the same thing with us as, as being made in the image of God. As we go out, as we carry on what God has called us into, as we fulfill his purpose on this earth, we are the image bearers of him. When people look at us, they should be reminded of him. They should see him. Maybe they can't put their finger on it. Maybe they don't know exactly what it is, but they start to go, what is that thing I'm seeing right there? And so that's the idea. As, we, as our lives are, are sort of built out for this intentional purpose, then the next question is, well, what's the purpose? What were we designed to do? What were we put here for? And the answer is worship. We were created to worship God. Every single one of us, regardless of who we are, we were created to worship God. All throughout the Bible, verse after verse says, for the glory of his name, for, the, for putting his name on high, uh, glory and honor to the Lord God Almighty. Time and time again, you see everything that God is doing is so that his name is lifted high. Everything that we do, everything that we saw them do in the Bible was so that it made much of the name of God. That's what we were called to do. We were created to worship. It is our purpose. And part of the way we can identify that is the fact that we're not the only things God created, right? There are animals. We see all these animals moving around. Like take the horse, for example. God's very clear. He's a, he, he loves the horse. 
the horse appears time and time again in the Bible. He, he describes the horse in a way that, that he's excited about the horse, you know, that it's a majestic animal. The horse shows up time and time again. It is a created being, thing by God, but you have never seen a horse worship. But we do. And so you look at dogs, and dogs are great. They're awesome. But you've never seen a dog worship. And I promise you, you will never see a cat worship. Because they're diabolical, I think they're plotting our murders, and they can't be trusted above all things. So you'll never see a cat worship. Thank you, amen, I love it. But we worship, right? It's what we were created for. It's what God put us here for. When he said, be fruitful and multiply, go make more image bearers that worship me. It's what we were called here for. So how do we do it? How do we get to that place? How do we get to, into that spot to where we spend our time worshiping? Because ultimately, when we worship, it's our declaration of the character of God. And so as we live our life out, as we worship him in every aspect of our life, it's us declaring the character of God to the world because they're beginning to see there's something connecting here. What is it? There's something that seems familiar in this person. And then I see their worship. And so I begin to go, okay, well, what is that? Where is that, where is that coming from? I begin to see that they're overwhelmed with love. They're, they're overwhelmed with mercy. They're, they're forgiving. They're, they're doing all these things. They're serving when they don't have to. They're going out of their way for someone for the sake of that person to flourish at the expense of themselves. What is that about them? It's worship. It's us declaring what God has done, what we know of our God that has created us. It is putting God in the proper space where he is. It's putting him as ultimate in our lives and declaring that all of me for all of you, regardless of what that means, I will go where you call me to go. I will do what you tell me to do as long as you get the glory and I make much of your name because that is where we are with God. That is that spot he's called us into and it's in that spot that we will just experience him so sweetly more than any other time is when we're just worshiping him for all out regardless of the cost we're living our life for the sake of his name but the problem is, is that we don't always live like that we probably don't always do that for some of us we don't even know this God so how would that even be and if I do know God what I do know of him is he hasn't been very good to me so why would I change why would I be all these things how can I do it how can I change so that I'm worshiping God but the fact of the matter is you already do it You'll do it. You will change something about you. If the Queen of England walked in here right now and you got to address the Queen of England, would you change? Would you feel this reason to be more proper? Would you feel this reason to, to bow or kneel? Or if you're like me, would you have one of those Ricky Bobby moments where you're not really sure what to do with your hands? You know, do I call her your highness? What do I say? You know, am I the only one that has that? If she walked in here, what would I do? I would change. I would even change the, the way I speak. I would be, God, please don't let me use the word y'all. Please don't let me use the word y'all when she comes in here. Because I can see me going, how are y'all doing? And it's the queen of England. She's, she's owed more respect to that. She's, she has this position that, that creates this thing that we should honor her, right? She's not God. But it'll happen. When she comes in, things about me would change. Or maybe if you're just the CEO of your company, you know good and well you don't act the same way around your CEO as you do your workers. At least I don't. Maybe I'm not maybe I'm the only one. And, and so that, that ability is within us. That opportunity is possible. But it comes down to the fact, are we putting God in the place that he deserves? Are we putting him in the position? Are we seeing him for who he is? And is that establishing the place in our lives to where things begin to change about us? The way we act, the way we talk, the way we speak, the things we do, things just start to look different because we know God. That's the hope. That's what we were designed for. That's the way... Our lives should be lived out. We're talking about the God who created us. We're talking about the God that created everything we see. We are talking about the God of the universe. And so the hope is that our lives reflect the character of God. We reflect our understanding of God. And you know what? It's okay. There's some of us in here, we don't, we don't have that picture yet. 
we don't quite have the, the big picture of God, and hopefully that's where we're going to go a little bit more this morning as we move forward. We're going to kind of understand that what that looks like. Maybe we can get our eyes on, on who God really, truly is. Because the truth is there are some of us in here that it's really hard because of our lives and the things that have happened to really see God for who he is. And then if you tell me he's a God of love, I know what I've lost. I'm not sure I see that. I know what I was raised in. You're going to tell me I can trust this guy? I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that the God you claim him to be is who he is. And the hope is that we see him for who he is by the end this morning. For those of us who, who are believers, those of us who, who have come into a relationship with Jesus, the hope is that there's a sensitivity to who he is that has changed everything about us. You know, not all at once. Of course, it's not going to happen all at once. I probably would tell the Queen of England, what's up, y'all? It's not going to happen all at once. But slowly, our lives begin to take a different shape. They begin to look a little different. As a church, the hope is that we move forward. We continue to do what God has called us into. And God has called us into this incredible vision that he has for the church here on earth. He has called us to go out and make disciples. And we want to be a church that is sensitive to that that is obedient to that we are building everything here at connection to follow the great commission as he called us to to be a church that makes disciples those who have followed jesus who are being transformed by jesus who are on board with the mission of jesus even if that means to the ends of the earth to unreached groups that no one has ever went to we want to be there because that's what god has called us into and so as we do that we have to make sure that we don't forget the most important thing the God that called us into it, that we keep him in the place that he called us to keep him into, that we lift his name above every name, that the motives of our heart are for his sake and not our own, that we worship him as we go to the ends of the earth. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, it's certainly true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days except the most important thing. We are missing genuine and sacred offering of ourselves and our worship to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, as individuals, we can't get caught up in all of these things that God has called us into because it happens and it happens fast. God begins to move. We get engaged. We get excited about what God's doing and we start moving and serving and we're going nonstop. And my life is always a picture of just busyness. And so one of the things that I fall into is I get so preoccupied with the work of the Lord that I forget about the Lord of the work. That I forget who it is I'm serving. That I forget who it is that called me into this. That I forget who it is that made all of this possible in my life. I forget to sing my praises and live my life in a way that worships Him. I'm serving. I'm going. I'm doing but yet I'm forgetting the most important thing, to just praise him the whole way, to just recognize him for who he is, to check the motives of my heart, to make sure the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and saying yes and the times I'm saying yes are for his sake and not my own. Am I really truly worshiping him in my life or am I really truly just trying to make things happen for the sake of my own name? I want to be in a place where God has that rightful spot in my life that he is owed, that he deserves, that my life is a picture of worship, that when people see everything I'm doing, the only thing they can see is Jesus. They can see what he's done. They can see his love. They can see his mercy, his forgiveness in my heart, that everything I do, all of my yeses that I give are so that Jesus' name is proclaimed to the world, and it's only for his glory, and that I'm forgotten the moment I'm out, even when I'm standing there that people can't see me. But the flesh in me likes to fight against that, you know? It don't always happen. But the important part is, do I check myself? Do I take the time to reflect on why I'm doing what I'm doing? Because the Bible is clear that God is definitely always examining the motives of our heart. So he knows my heart. He knows why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so my desire is to always continue to serve him for the sake of him and not my own. To lift him up, to see him for who he is. And that sometimes is the trouble. Is that I just can't see him for who he is all the time. And it's tough. Sometimes God just isn't on my radar every day. 
Life is busy. I have four children. It keeps me busy. I have a job. I have all these things going on. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to do all these things. And every once in a while, God just sitting even on the radar. And I forget about the Lord of the work. And it happens. So how do I move into a place where I'm seeing God? How do I move into this place where I'm seeing God for who he is? How am I constantly reminded of God's goodness in my life so that his character becomes my character? So that his love becomes my love. His mercies become my mercies. His forgiveness becomes my forgiveness and his grace becomes my grace towards others. Because the harder it is for me to see him, the harder it is for me to extend any of those things to everybody else. It's hard. It's hard for me to release that. And so one of the good things that that God has done for us is that in everything we see, if we're looking, we can see God. All of creation around us. Psalms 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its warmth. So even the sun itself is in the sky to remind us of God's goodness and love. As it begins on one side and goes across the sky, the Bible says that this is for us to be reminded of God's love, the warmth we feel. It's a beautiful day. You feel better, don't you? You walk outside, the sun's shining. There's just something about it. It's that sun moving across the sky. Man, just lifts my spirits. It just does something within me. That was by design. As the sun moves, God intended for you to know that he was there, that his presence is there. The skies, they have no voice. They have no speech. There's no sound coming for them. And yet they declare his glory for us so that we will know he is God. And if we see it, the hope is that it moves in us and it flows out and our praises roll up. Because he's owed it. He deserves it. And it's not just Psalms that we see how, God, how big God really truly is. And that's really where I want to start. If we're going to talk about worshiping God, then I believe the first thing we have to do is see God for as big as he is. Because this is the thing I know, and it's heavy on my heart. There are people that have walked into this room this morning that are struggling. There are people that have walked into this room that have lost and they don't know why, and they can't explain it, and they don't know what to ask God for. They don't even know what to think of God because of it. There are people who have made mistakes, who have done some things that wish they could take them back, and they're not sure where God is with all of that. They're not sure how God even views them anymore. There are marriages who are on the brink of throwing it in. There are people who just don't know if this God is who he says he is, and I don't even know if he is. Then why did this happen to me? But that's a real thing. There are people who have been serving him, and and just that distance is there, and you're like, why? Why do I feel this? Why do I feel a distance between me and you? I used to feel you so close, and now I'm just sitting here, and I don't know what it is. It almost feels like I'm just going through the motions, God, but I don't want to. I want to be more for you. I want to worship you, but I don't know if I can right now. The truth is, in some cases, because of what you did to me, I don't even know if I like you right now. And I hope you hear me. God's even big enough for that. He's big enough to handle where you are with him right now. And he spent energy in all of creation to remind you that no matter where you go, no matter how you turn, no matter what you think, no matter what you doubt about him, creation is screaming to you to remind you that he loves you. He has never left you, regardless of what you lost. He's still there. 
He was always there with what you were going through. He's still here after you slipped. He spent creation reminding you of his love for you and me because I need it. I need to be reminded of his goodness. I need to be reminded of his love. I need to feel the warmth of the sun on me to remind me God's there. He's present. He hasn't forsaken me. He's never left me. He's always there. And no matter how this looks and the answers, we may not know. Creation's reminded me of where he is, who he is, and his intentions towards me. And he's okay with where I am. He's just waiting on me to come home. He's just waiting on me to come home and give it to him. And then when that happens, the praise begins to roll up. The worship begins to roll up in every aspect of my life. There are people here going through things. And he's big enough for those. So if you will, we're going to turn to Job. We're going to go to Job chapter 38. And we're going to spend some time, we're going to read as Job sort of addresses God in a way that's not necessarily the best for him, but something that we all can relate to. And if you don't know the story of Job, Job at this point has lost every, a, a ton of his life, the things in his life. He's lost people in his life. He's lost his fortune. Um, he's had a hard time. He's kind of trapped between, um, you know, the enemy, the adversary, as it says, and God. And, and he feels like he's just, his life has become sort of a, you know, just an, a, a play toy for them as they work themselves out. And then in the end, the thing that he knows is that his righteousness was there. Like he was obedient, he was faithful. It was probably the thing that the adversary was attracted to most because he was the example of righteousness on, on earth. He was doing all that God called him to do. He was obedient and faithful to the Lord. And so the, the thing is, okay, well, if this one goes, then I can prove you to be a liar. And so as Job encounters all of this, as he gets the lead, as he gets all these things happen to him, thing after thing, he finally, after hearing some bad advice from a few guys, begins to, to question God in the middle of all that. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book of the Bible. Um, it's very poetic. It's very powerful. But I think more than that, it's something that all of us can relate to. Because it's the idea of why God allows suffering into the world. And the truth is, we don't have a theological framework to answer that. We don't know. But the hope is, is the same thing as what we see is, as the Lord finally addresses Job, as, as he responds to Job, he sort of begins to lay out. And I think it's not necessarily to intentionally just undress Job, to sort of just call Job out and go, look at who you are and look at who I am. I don't know that that's necessarily the, the thing, even though God has every right to do that. What if the idea is that God is just trying to remind Job of who he is and that even all of this, as hopeless as it seems, as much as the loss hurts, as much as it seems like there's no way that this is going to work out for you, there's no way that any of these things that have happened to you are ever going to be turned around. There's never going to be any good in your life again. What if what God is doing in this is explaining to Job, I'm big enough. I've got it. I can handle it. None of this has caught me off guard. I'm not surprised by what you're going through. I'm not surprised by the mess you've made. I'm not surprised by the hurt that you have in your heart. I understand. And so if we will, we're going to read through Job, and I'm going to take a little bit of time with it, and we're going to slow down just a little bit. Just picture the God that we're talking about as we go through this. Think of the God that, that, that we serve. Think of him in the fullness of who he is. You know, try to just picture what it is that he's saying. It says 38, then Job spoke to, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me, which has got to be some of the scariest words ever said to someone. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? 
while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in a thick darkness, when I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud ways halt. Think of the God we're talking about, the God that created all of this and told the oceans, you can only come this far. Created everything that we see. All the details that happen in and out of creation as we see it, as science uncovers it. Every little intricacy that science stumbles onto was by God's design. And it's just an incredible thing to just see who it is we're talking about. In 12, he says, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. And so when you think of like a seal, when they were closing, um, like picture like when you ever seen uh, the, the royalty like in the old um, medieval times, when they would seal an important document, they would pour wax on it, right? And then they would stamp it with a seal and it would be textured. And that was an identifying mark of the person sending it. It was, a, it was a signature, so to say. That's what God is saying when the mountains, when I was establishing the earth and the topography that we see, the structure and the way it's shaped and all the mountains that are formed, those are mine. That's my signature. That's my hand on it. I put that there so that you would know that was me. I've been to the Grand Canyon. It's one of the most incredible things you will ever see in your entire life. As you just you walk out to it and it just opens up and it's so vast and incredible and it's so powerful. And you just stand there in awe and you go, I don't even have words for this. I don't have words for the beauty of this. That's God. That's God's signature on this world. That's God's signature on creation going, I made this. This is who I am. This is how big I am. It says, if you journey to the spring of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep, have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the get gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hell, which I reserve for the times of trouble, for the days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives? an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who in the world told a rooster to crow at three o'clock in the morning? God, I just have to remember that so don't strangle the rooster. I don't know why, but it's not my understanding. It's God's. Who is the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heaven when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? When there are droughts and there needs to be rain, who sends the rain? When the grass needs a sprout, who is it? that causes the grass to come forth. It's our God, the God of all creation, 
the God that created you and I, the God who put his image on us and said, now go and be fruitful and make more that are in my image. Make more that will worship my name. This is a big God. If we're going to live a life that it just rolls worship forth, then it's important to understand how big he really truly is. We have to begin to see where this God is that we are talking about, how big he really truly is. And I think it's important to see for us who are those in hurting, he did not just do that to magnify himself. He did that to remind us of who he is and how much we need him in those moments. We can see the sun moving across the sky and go, there's a chance my marriage is gonna be okay. There's a chance that I'm not gonna wake up and cry all day because of the person I lost. There's a chance that God is not gonna just condemn me for the mistake I made and hold me to this thing and I'm just gonna have to waller in guilt and shame. There's a chance that God just might be who he says he is and all I have to do is just get on my face and confess and just, God, I, God, I can't do it. I need to give this to you and just ask for your forgiveness and the Bible says he is willing to forgive us. He will forgive us. And the entirety of creation is reminding us of who he is so that our praises will spring forth. I ran across this story about a big picture, and it sort of created this idea that maybe there are, you know, there are sort of three responses as we kind of read God, as we kind of see who God is in, in Job and, and throughout the Bible, and we see how big God is. So I want to read you this story. One day a traveler was walking along a lane and he come across three stone cutters and they were working in a quarry. Each was busy cutting a block of stone. So the traveler, he was interested to find out what they were working on and he asked the first stone cutter, he said, what is it, are you doing? Stone cutter had a simple reply, I'm just making a living. And still no wiser, the traveler didn't know what was going on or what was being built so he turned to the second stone cutter and he asked him, what are you doing? And the stone cutter goes, I'm doing the best job of stone cutting in the entire country. And so a bit closer to maybe finding out what the stone cutters were working on, but still unclear, the traveler turned to the third stone cutter. And this stone cutter, he seemed the happiest of all three. And when he asked him what he was doing, he replied, I'm building a cathedral. He got the big picture. He got the idea of what was going on. It wasn't held to some thing that was going on in that moment. It wasn't a desire to be the best one. He understood what he was a part of. He understood what he was called into. And his happiness was greater than all the rest because he saw the big picture. I'm building a cathedral. I see what's happening. I know what's going on. And so I, I think there are three different people in that story. And the first one's the one that's just making a living. That's the one that's just here. I'm indifferent. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe if God is as big as he says he is, maybe he's just too big for me. Maybe he just has forgotten about me. Maybe I'm the one that can't be fixed. Maybe I'm the one that's lost that can't be found. Maybe I'm the one that's just too far gone. Maybe I'm the one that God just doesn't care about, even though everyone says he cares about all of his children. Maybe I'm just that one. I just don't know. And so maybe there's just an indifference. Maybe there's just an unawareness of who he is. We're made in his image. You look like God. Don't you think that matters to him? Don't you think that means something to the God that created you? That you look like him? That you are in this world carrying his image? You are not forgotten. You are not lost. You are not too far gone. There is not a place where you can't come back because the blood of Jesus has covered all of that for us. There is no place where you can go where he can't find you. There's no place he's not willing to go with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're not lost. You may not know what the answer is yet. It may not even be the answer that you want, but you bear the image of God. That matters. That means something. He's not going to leave one that carries his image just floundering around. 
It may not be what we want. It may not be the answer that, that we were looking for. It may not be by the design that we had in mind, but I promise you, it's of God, and it's better for us. It's better for us. Just understanding how powerful it is to be made in his image, what that means for you and me. I look like God. I don't ever feel like it. But that doesn't stop me from still resembling the God that created all that we see. The very God that created that Grand Canyon. Thought it more important to create me to resemble him. You matter. You matter. He hasn't forgotten. You're not lost. You're not too far gone. Your marriage isn't too far gone. You might be indifferent with him right now. You might even be angry at him right now. You might still be shaking your fist at something that happened to him right now. But I promise you, he cares. He cares. You were made to look like him. You were designed to be something that worships him. Yet he cares. He wants you to be more than I'm just making a living. I'm just getting through. I'm just trying to get by. That's all I can do. Just doing all I can do to make it through the day. And then this is the tougher one. This is the harder one. This is the guy who was trying to be the best stone builder in the entire world, right? I'm going to be the best there is. If my life is supposed to reflect the worship of God and I'm trying to see God for who it is, this is a very natural place to start. Because a lot of times when we see God, we can only see it through the view of our window of our life, right? So like whatever I know of God has only come through the experiences of my life. That's why he's okay. That's why he's okay with where you are. The only way I can really see God is how I've experienced him. And sometimes that window is very narrow. Sometimes that window is very cloudy. Sometimes it's very hard. But it doesn't stop the fact that, that God is working. And so the natural reaction is to base everything off of my experiences, and what sin has done for me is it created the idea that I'm a better God than God. That's what son has done, sin has done in all of our lives. I've got a beautiful baby boy. He has a plan every day for what he wants to get accomplished and what he wants to get done. And it's better for you if you get on board with that. He has needs, he has wants, and he is happy to let you know what he wants right then and there. And he's not going to wait. It's just what's built into us, right? It's a natural reaction for us. It's a natural reaction to see God the way we see him. Even the disciples, as they were growing, they would worship God, but it was only because of what God did for them at first, right? As people encountered Jesus, he would do miracles, and they would praise his name for him. They didn't praise him right at first when they saw him, but when he started doing the miracles, then, oh, now he's God, right? And so all of the praise, all of the worship was based off of what they were getting, and that's natural, it's natural. It's a natural reaction. It's just not staying there that matters. That's a natural place for God to do something. If you were dead before you met Jesus and then there was new life, that's a reason to praise God. That's an absolute reason to praise God. If you were praying for something and God did it, that's a reason to praise God because he was good and he was faithful. That's a natural reaction for us. In Matthew 14, that's when they were on the boat and the storms were raging and Jesus is sleeping. They're freaking out. And so he comes and, he, and, he, um, and they say, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Before that moment, they wasn't worshipping anybody. But when he, when he stepped up and did his thing, now, well, you are God Almighty. Praise his name. But isn't that us a lot? It's a normal thing. It's a proper reaction. It's, it's common for us to be like that, to just go, okay, well, God, if you give me this, then I'm going to praise your name. It's just not staying in that place because guess what? He doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always give us what we pray for. He doesn't always give us what we're asking. But that doesn't stop or change his position in our life or him being worthy of us praising him. And so the thing becomes, why are we doing what are we doing? Why are the anxieties and the fears setting in when I'm faced against a storm? Why are these things pushing back against me that change the way I praise God? Because surely if he gives me what I want, then praise God, right? 
I've been praying for this new job. He gave it to me. Amen. Praise God, brother. God is good all the time. Right? My kid gets into college, and we all know his grade point average. Ooh, Jesus is good. Right? Praise his name. I'm ready to throw down and just sing praises to the heavens. But what about when we get the bad report from the hospital? Where are the praises then? What about when it doesn't go my way and I don't get the favor that I'm looking for? Where is praises then? Where is the worship of it? Where is the worshipful heart? Where is the resemblance of the character of God in my life? What about when my son is lost in drugs and alcohol have ravaged his life and I've been praying for years and years that God would just do something in his life and I haven't seen anything yet? Where are the praises then? And so we stay in that spot to where our praises are hinged on what God gives us and doesn't give us and what he does in our life that we get to see and what he doesn't and all of those things. And it's hard because it's very easy to get trapped in that spot and for our heart to shift and it become about what we're getting from God instead of us praising him for who he is to us. It's very easy to get trapped in that spot to where if you're not giving me what I want, if you're not doing the things I want to do, if you're not answering it the way I want, then I don't have anything for you right now. But as soon as you give me what I want, I'm going to praise your name. John Piper often asks this when it comes to making much of God. He says, do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you or because at a very great cost to himself, he frees you to enjoy making much of him forever? And he asked this question for four things. Is the deepest basis of our joy God's greatness or our greatness? Am I more satisfied praising him or being praised? Am I God-centered because of his surpassing value or am I God-centered because he highlights my surpassing value? And the hardest thing, would it be heaven for me to see God are for me to be God. Where is my heaven? You think there's any a chance that our anxieties and our worries and our fears about what's gonna happen are connected to some of that, that we got stuck in that rut of God giving for us, and if he's not giving for us, then obviously he must be against us, or I've done something to remove his hand from my life, and he doesn't love me anymore like he promised he would, and so maybe he's not the God that he says he was, or he is, because it's not working. My life isn't going the way I want it to, so he can't be who he says he is. But that's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. That's exactly where he wants us to stay, to where it becomes more about God giving me something, and when he doesn't, I don't do anything to lift him up. I don't do anything to praise his name. I don't do anything with my life to serve another or to make much of God because he's not making much of me. You come show me how valuable I am, then I'll show you how valuable you are. God's bigger than that. He's bigger than that in us. He's called us to more than that. And it's okay. That's a normal process. It's okay to be in that place. It's okay, but we have to take the time to examine the motive of our hearts. Why is it we're doing what we're doing? Why is it we're praying the prayers that we're praying? Why is it we're lifting our hands when a good praise worship song comes on? Is it because God has shook everything about me because I see him in existence and no matter what it is, no matter what the cost, my praises will be lifted high for God because he is who he says he is and he will always be what he said he is. Nothing changes it. Nothing does anything to move him from who he is or his position in my life. Or am I just raising my hands so that everybody sees I'm a Christian? What is it? And we all fall into that trap. We all get stuck into that. We all do it. It happens. But God wants us to be more. We are his image bearers. We mean more to what he has. There's more value in what's going on. When we lift our hands, it's because he is who he says he is. That's where he wants his creation to be. And he's went through all kinds of things to prove that out for us, that his love is there. He wants us serving because we've been served by Jesus. 
He wants us loving because we've been loved so greatly by him that his son would step down out of heaven and come and walk on this earth and experience everything that you and I have experienced and live a perfect life and then climb up on a cross and die the worst death known to man so that his blood would remove all of that for us. So that every time we got on our knees and said, God, I made a mistake, forgive me, it's already done. It's finished. For every thought, every doubt that God isn't who he says he is, the cross of Christ says, I love you. For everything that binds, every chain that seems like it will never break, all the hope and despair, all the lost, all the things that go, God, why would you take that person from me? The cross of Christ says, but I gave you all that I had. I gave you everything because as big as creation is, as big as the Grand Canyon is, as warm as the sun moving across the sky is, as powerful as the images are in Job when God describes himself to the people, all of it pales in comparison to the cross of Jesus Christ. You mattered so much. I mattered so much. The image that we carry matters so much that he came out of heaven and lived on the earth and died so that we would have an opportunity to be in relationship with him so that we could step into the place that he's called us into so that we can move past these traps of you give me this and you give me that and just know all of you for all of me, whatever that means, and I will praise you every day. Because you love me. Because you love me so much that you died for me. That you bled for me. That you gave everything for me. God gave everything for us. So that we might know his love. So that when those times come that we don't know who this God is. Because I've heard love, love, love. But this doesn't feel like love. This hurts too bad to be love. The cross of Christ reminds us. I love you enough to come and experience it. It's not foreign to him. It's not foreign to him what we're going through. It's not foreign to him the temptations. It's not foreign to him the loss, the hurt. And if it hasn't happened yet, just hang in there because if you live long enough, you will bleed. We know that. And all of creation is designed to remind us of how big God is, of his love for us, how much he cares for us. And the hope is that moves us into that place where we're the guy who goes, I'm building a cathedral. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know exactly every detail of it. But the only thing I know that it is my joy to build this cathedral because it is part of something bigger. It is part of something greater. We have to move into that place where everything about us honors and gives glory to God because we see him for who he is. Because the world and the enemy is going to do everything to step in and stomp out any ideas that we may have of who God is. That's his intention. To step on the glory of God, to step on the praises of God, to just get his children so tangled up and so bound up by everything in this world to create the ideas that maybe he doesn't love you, maybe he doesn't care about you. Look at how your marriage is falling apart. Look at what your children are doing. Look at how they're failing. Look at how you're failing every day. No one even sees you. You are forgotten about completely. Those are lies of the enemy and the cross is here to proclaim they are lies and can't be listened to. That's what God did. That's what God did for us. That's what God did for you and I. But we have to move into a place where we see him for who he is. And as the worship team comes forward, that's the question today. Where are you with God? Where am I with God? What are the motives of my heart? What is it that's within me? How is the reflection that I'm given? Does it praise God's name? Does it make much of him? Or am I too bound up? Is the window too narrow? Is it too foggy that I can't see God? I don't know who he is. I'm not even sure he is who he says he is. Is the pain too much this morning? Where are we at when it comes to that? Do I even know who this God is? But I can promise you this God has done extravagant, intrinsical, powerful things to establish who he is in your life beginning from a smiling face on a baby 
to the sun moving across the sky to a doe in the woods. And we all hunters, we know what that looks like. It's beautiful, but it's not as beautiful as the buck that's coming behind her. But God has done these things to remind us time and time again that he is for us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. But none of it, none of it is as powerful as the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's that cross that allows us to come into that place with God, to be in relationship with him, to finally step into that place where we can worship him with our lives. But the truth is, some of us don't know him. The Bible is very clear. The only way to the Father is through the Son. We have to make that decision to surrender everything, to take a leap of faith, to hold on to the hope that maybe Christ is who he said he was, that his death and blood, his resurrection are all proof that I can just give everything I am to God and he will not let me down like the rest of the world has. Because the truth is we know that most of the world has let us down in some way, shape, or form. It's broken us. It has hurt us. It has bound us. So if that's you this morning, if you've never had the opportunity to just turn it all over to Christ, if you've never taken that step of faith because either you didn't know who he was or maybe if there is a God, I don't think he likes me very much or from what I know about him, I'm not sure he loves anyone. I promise you this morning, that all that God has done has been to prove to you his love for you, all the way down to you looking like him. Your image bears his very name. You're worth it. You're valuable. He hasn't forgotten you. He made a way for you so that you could come home and spend your life giving all that's owed to him. But if that's you this morning, if you've never declared that in your life, if you've never taken that step of faith, to go, I want Jesus, I'm tired of this world, I'm tired of all the brokenness, I'm tired of all the bondage, I want to have a relationship with God that only Jesus can give me. If you've never given your heart to God and trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. And if you do, we're going to celebrate. And I know this is, a, this is a scary moment. This is a terrifying moment. And so I want to give you a second to think about that. If that's you this morning, if you don't know the God that we're talking about, if you don't know the Jesus and haven't experienced the Jesus that we're talking about, if you know that's you this morning, I promise you, we are on the edges of our seats to celebrate with you. And the Bible says that all of heaven is ready to burst forth in praise and worship and celebration because one came home. That's how much God loves us. He would do anything for just one of us. So if that's you this morning, you just raise your hand. Amen. And for the rest of us, who am I in that story? Am I the one that's just getting by? Am I the one that feels like God has left, has forgotten me, he has overlooked me? Are the things that are going in my life don't point to a God that loves me very much? Am I the one who's been stuck in that little pattern that it's okay to be in, but now it's moved from God doing good things to God doing good things for me? Where are we at this morning? Because this is the thing. This altar is the place where God wants to show us one more thing. He wants to show us his love for us. If there's pain in your heart, there's something that's weighing heavy on you. If you have doubts about God and if he is who he says he is, I promise you, you can come right here and lay him at his feet and he is big enough to handle it. But more than that, I promise you, he will meet you right here. There will be people here to pray with you if you need it. There will be people here to love you if that's, that just know what this is, that this is where we meet God. This is where he reminds us of who we are, this, or who he is. This is where we encounter Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is full in this place. If that's you this morning, why take that home? Why take these doubts and fears home? Why take these things home? Why leave an opportunity to meet God? And if you need to come up here and let him have it, I promise you, he can take it. Don't let him have it. He's big enough. Regardless of what it is, he's big enough. He spent 
and eternity and creation to this point to prove to you his love for you. He can handle whatever you have for him right here. Just bring it to him. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. He just wants you to bring it to him. He doesn't care about the rest. And he will be here and he will meet you and he will tell you, I love you. And he will feel his arms wrap around you. And it might be exactly what you need this morning is the embrace of a father. This is our time of worship. This is our time to sing praises to God. This is our time to be his image bearers and to give all that we have for the sake of his name to make much of him. These are the moments that he gives us to just put him in the spot that he deserves and is owed in our life. This is your time with God. Let's worship him for who he is. Let's praise him for who he is. Let's make much of the name of Jesus this morning. Let us sing his praises to the point to where it shakes this city. Because that's the church God is looking for. And that's the church we want to be. The one that worships him with everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we're ever going to be. We worship him. So this is our time. I'm so thankful for y'all. Let's worship the God who deserves it. Let's worship the Lord of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you.